Hey, Valley Church, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it is time to get into the Word. Before we get there, though, I got to ask, have you ever been just so incredibly desperate to be on a team? I remember being in sixth grade. I asked my mom and dad if I could join the baseball team. And really, uh, you can't join a baseball team. You've got to jump through all of these hoops of registering, signing up. And when I was a kid, they didn't let everybody play. You actually had to try out. You had to be good enough to make the team. And my mom and dad, they both thought about it and they said, yeah, why don't you try? And I was asking for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And the day of tryouts came and something came up. My parents needed to go shopping. We had to go to another town to go to the mall. I don't even know what it was. And I'm not even sure they really needed to go shopping. I had just never played sports a day in my life except for bowling, and I think that makes me an athlete. But other than that, I hadn't played any sports, and part of me wonders if my parents took off for the mall and brought me with them to protect me because they knew I would not be good at baseball. But it broke my heart. I remember being at the mall thinking, this is kind of cool, but I'd rather be trying out for baseball. And my dreams, they were just shot. They were gone. About a week later, phone rings at our house. I'm like, the phone never rings. What is this? And I pick up the phone and there's a guy on the other end. He's like, uh, may I speak with Brandon Early? And I'm like, this is Brandon Early. <laughs> and he said, uh, this is Coach Smith. I just would like to invite you to play on the Pizza Hut Reds. Can we count on you? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I didn't even make tryouts and you're inviting that. He was absolutely, you're Brandon Early. You're good enough for our team. And I'm like, I don't know how this guy heard about me, but I was super excited. I'm like, I'll absolutely be there. I'll be at practice, hung up the phone, best day ever. I mean, I was cheering. I was celebrating. My mom and dad were like, how did that happen? It was so incredibly cool. Uh, but I still, still I'm telling you, nothing. I knew nothing about baseball. I remember um, the first time he sent me out to play. Now, we really didn't go over all of the details during practice, but he said, early, I want you in. Go out to right field. And I remember just running out full sprint and I got to the pitcher's mound and I made a U-turn and I came back to the coach and I said, uh, which side's right field? <laughs> he got so mad at me. He's like, it's that way early. Get out there. And I'm just like, okay, sir. And my little legs, they just took me all the way out to right field. And that's where I played most of the time. You know what right field is, right? That's where they put the kids who can't play. That was my spot, all right? Uh, games later, I don't remember how many games, but uh, my team, uh, they were in the dugout. Their hats were inside out and upside down and on their heads. And they're just going, rally, 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 rally. And I'm like, what's going on? They said, early. We're trying to, we're trying to pump up our team. That's what's going on. You got to yell, rally. So I was just like, cheer, rally, rally. I just wanted to be a part of the team. I wanted to do what everybody else was doing. I wanted to be in the mix. I wanted to be in the mix so much. The very next game, I took my hat off, uh, third inning, put it inside out, popped it on my head, and I'm like, rally, 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 rally. Nobody's doing it. And they said, early, you got to stop it. I'm like, oh, okay. He said, we're up by 13. You look like a moron. I didn't realize that you only chanted rally when you were losing. One day, the coach asked me, he said, uh, hey, Brandon, how's your brother Shane doing? Oh, Shane Early was the best baseball player that Little League had ever seen. He was a great hitter. He was a great pitcher. He was so fast. I mean, this kid was just outrageously athletic. And there was only one thing about him that was not. And the thing that was not was that he 
was not my brother. <laughs> and it was at that moment that I realized this guy picked me for the team because he thought my brother was the best baseball player that the league had ever seen. You see, there was this kind of unspoken rule, kind of a loophole that if your brother makes the team, you get on the team. But that wasn't me. And when I told him, I, I, don't, I don't have a brother. And then he went, oh, it's all starting to make sense. But I just wanted to play. I just wanted to be a part of the crew. I remember uh, getting put in finally at the end of one of our games, you know, in Little League, we just, we play like six, seven uh, innings. And he looked at me in the sixth inning, he goes, hey, Early, have you been in yet? And I'm like, you know I haven't. <laughs> and he said, all right, get in there. And he said, Brian, come here. Brian was the best baseball player on our team. And he said, Brian, Early's going in for you. And uh, I just kind of grab my glove and I start running past Brian. And Brian just glares at me. He gives me the death stare. He's like, I can't believe he's pulling me or you. I'm just out in the outfield and I'm not doing anything because nobody's hitting it to me. We've got two outs and the pitcher, our pitcher, throws the ball right down the middle and the batter, he cracks it. And this ball is coming right at me. I can feel it. I can hear it. I can smell it. The ball is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it come toward, comes toward me. And I, I'm like, and I put my glove in the air and my eyes are wide open. And Bam, I just snatched that ball out of the sky. It felt so good. It felt so good to be productive for our team. It was the last out. I ran into the dugout and I was expecting Brian to say, good job, Brandon. I love it. But instead he looked at me and his exact words were, if you would have dropped that ball, I would have killed you. And the coach whispered, I would have helped. No, the coach didn't say that. He didn't say that. But but Brian did say that. And, and I'm just this little kid just trying to fit in, just trying to be a part of the team. The more time I spent on that baseball team, the more I realized I just didn't belong there. I didn't fit in there. Uh, and by the end of the season, really the only thing I was looking forward to was that snow cone that coach would buy us at the end of every game. I love snow cone. You know, wh wherever you are, I don't care if you're in the car, if you're in your living room, just shout out on the count of three. What is your favorite flavor of snow cone? One, two, three. <laughs> I don't know what you said, but mine was always blue. It's not even a flavor. I loved blue snow cone. That was, that was where I was at. Truth is, when you're on a baseball team, people want something from you. They don't want you to be bad at baseball. They need you to be good at baseball. And actually, that's a, that's a pretty reasonable request. This experience, this baseball experience, it, it didn't ruin my childhood. In fact, it, it taught me something of, about belonging. I just, I just wanted a place to belong. And it's not like my family wasn't good. It's not like I didn't have friends at school, but I needed better connections. I needed a place where I actually fit. Uh, just a quick side note on belonging. We're going to talk about belonging today, and I just want to be so clear because it is not enough just to find a place to be comfortable. I promise you this, comfort can be a killer of growth. It's a silent killer. If you're writing these things down, uh, taking notes, check this out. Life is better and we are better at life when we find community that spurs us on and fills us up. We're not looking to settle. We're looking for a place where we belong. You know, we live in a world that says 
be who you are, be comfortable in your mess. You're just fine the way you are. Jesus didn't promote that. He didn't promote misfits just getting together and continuing to live misdirected lives. What people believed and how they behaved, it, it did matter to Jesus, but his first priority was letting people know that he loved them and they were welcomed by him. Jesus modeled this for us. He, he obviously had built-in community all around him. He loved his team. He was with his team all the time. And, and yet he told his team to prioritize the way that they connect with each other and how they encourage each other. Look at this. Jesus loved his disciples. John 13, 34. Uh, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. He's giving them a directive. You've got you've to welcome each other. You've got to love each other. And by the way, I've modeled this for you. We got to create a place to belong. Jesus had great relationships with his disciples. He loved them. And it's not just that Jesus loved them. He also liked them. Look at this in John 15, 15. He says, I don't call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends. I love that. It's not just that he loves them. He likes them. They're, they're his friends. Jesus made room for the messy. Jesus was followed by crowds constantly, and there were messy people in the crowds. The disciples were messy. Jesus made room for the mess, but he loves us too much to let us stay that way. Really, the only people Jesus didn't make room for were the people who were concerned so much about other people's behaviors that they put up walls and they put up laws to keep them from worshiping God. You can't worship God if you're not perfect. You can't worship God if you don't behave a certain way. Jesus constantly created a sense of belonging before he pushed believing and behaving. So Jesus had this built-in community, and you would think that having friends like this would satisfy your desire to belong. And even though he was surrounded by his disciples and they followed him wherever he went, Jesus still yearned for something more intimate, a, a place where he wasn't just recognized as a teacher or a miracle worker, but where he was recognized as a friend. You know, we're going to talk about this place called Bethany. Look at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 and 39. While Jesus and his disciples, while they were traveling, they were on the road, they were doing ministry, uh, they entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said, Jesus was just in their home. And I love this, this village, maybe write this down somewhere. This is the village of Bethany, the home of Martha, the home of Mary, these two sisters. You know, this, this village is a place where Jesus felt connected. Look at this image of this, the, the terrain. This is the direction of Bethany. You know, Bethany has a direct shot. It can see the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is right in between, closer to Jerusalem, but in between Jerusalem and Bethany, two miles east of uh, Jerusalem, actually. And this village, this was the hometown of these new friends. And if you have your spiritual geographic journal, I would love it if you would turn it to page 18. You can take some notes there. You can see all of our questions. The village of Bethany, it was just a special place for Jesus. This is the first time we actually meet Martha and Mary, and Jesus is going to soon find out that Martha's incredible hospitality, her welcoming home in Bethany, and this new circle of friends who seek his presence, 
not his miracles, will create a sense of belonging that Jesus won't experience anywhere else, not even with his disciples. You know, and one of his new friends was the brother of Martha and Mary. His name was Lazarus. And it's in Bethany where we get the shortest verse in all of scripture. John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. It was in Bethany where he showed uh, deep relationship, deep compassion, deep empathy for his friend. His friend Lazarus, the reason Jesus was weeping is because he was sick and he died. And Jesus is there with Martha and Mary. He's grieving with family and they're mourning the death of their brother. Jesus is mourning the death of his friend. Look at, look at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. Of course he was deeply moved. This was one of his best friends. Jesus here, he's moving towards the tomb because he's moments away from performing the most dramatical, powerful miracle so far in the gospels. You know, Jesus used this moment to demonstrate his power over life and over death. And it's a moment of foreshadowing of his own resurrection, which is the most powerful miracle in all of scripture. He's getting ready to bring Lazarus back to life. The other thing about Bethany, which I think is super interesting for us, is it was such a place of comfort. That's the place where Jesus went during the hardest week of his life, day after day after day. Look at John chapter 12, verses one and two. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they, they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them and Lazarus was one reclining at the table. Like, you know, Martha's in her sweet spot. Can you see it? Like she is loving the room as best she can. This is filling up her tank. We don't see it here in the text, but the next few verses talk about Mary, how she's just getting ready to sit at Jesus' feet once again and worship him. Lazarus is enjoying a meal. He's reclining at the table. Jesus is enjoying the company of all of his close friends. And this is how Jesus begins the most difficult week of his life. Bethany was a place where Jesus felt like he belonged. And during his final week uh, of life, before his, his arrest and his death, his crucifixion and resurrection, Bethany became a place of rest from all of the opposition and relentless challenges that he was facing, especially that week. Jesus went to Jerusalem back and forth, Bethany, Jerusalem, Bethany, Jerusalem, every day that week, except for Wednesday. I think he probably hung out in Jerusalem a, a little longer because he was there for youth group or something. I don't know. Scripture's just silent on what happened Wednesday. Here's a visual so you can kind of see what Jesus was doing. Uh, you know, here, here's the bank. You've got uh, Tel Aviv and here's Jerusalem. Uh, let's zoom in here closer. Uh, this is the old city right here. Uh, you can see the Temple Mount. This would have been the old city of Jerusalem right here. You can see the Mount of Olives. And uh, Lazarus's tomb is right kind of in that vicinity. From the edge of the old city all the way to around here is about two miles. That's what Jesus walked every day during Holy Week. Whenever he went into Jerusalem, it was a two-mile walk. When he would come back to hang out in Bethany, it was a two-mile walk. And, and you saw the pictures earlier, right? I mean, hills, the terrain was up and down, very rocky. Jesus walked that, and it was worth it because he wanted to be with his friends. You know, during the most difficult week of Jesus' life, he just kept going back night after night after night. And what we learn from that is when life is hard, it, it seems like we end up moving in two directions. We either uh, drift into old habits 
and slip back into moments that kind of satisfy, but, but temporarily, but they ultimately bring us down. Or, you know, we run to places and we run to people who build us up. You know, this really isn't something we're learning today, but it's a, it's a good reminder that we all need good friends and we all need a place to fit in, a place that's spiritually healthy, where you, you can belong. Life is better. Life is better and we are better at life when we find community that spurs us on and fills us up. It's probably a great time to just mention life groups. Uh, you know, because of the crazy weather and the opportunity lost for so many, uh, we extended life group signups for one more week. I would love it. it. You know, if you're watching online, you know, grab that QR code. If you're watching in the room, take a picture of that or, uh, you know, hover over it because we want you to see every single opportunity for you to get plugged in. Life groups is a place to belong. Life groups are all about cultivating friendship while living out God's word together. This might be the beginning of a Bethany for some of you. Maybe a life group isn't what you need right now because you might have some unique challenges in your life. I just want to point your attention to our care and support groups. And can I just, here's the best pitch I can give for care and support groups. You may need some of what we have to offer in this area, but if you don't, I promise you, there's people in your life who do. So I would encourage you to get to this uh, website, get to the QR code, find the site, look at all of the groups we offer from cancer support groups to divorce care groups to single mom groups to grief groups uh, to sexual addiction and recovery groups. There are so many groups and we want you to be informed because these groups exist to give you help and to give you hope. And if you know what these groups are and what kind of groups exist, you might be the one who brings help and hope to somebody else. This is a great place to find community. This might be somebody's Bethany. It might be your Bethany. Valley Church wants to be the best help and to offer the best hope we possibly can. Because when you're down and life is difficult, the the difference between thriving or surviving is the help and hope that we surround ourselves with. You know, we're gonna briefly look at one other place in scripture known as Bethany, and sometimes it can be confusing when you're not familiar with geography or you're not familiar with details or when you think it's one place and then it's got the same name and you're confused, but it turns out to be another place. For example, I was born in a town called Van Wert, Ohio. And I gotta tell you, out of all the Van Werts in the United States, mine is the best. I know it's the best. I looked it up. You know, there are four other cities named Van Wert in the United States. And I got to tell you, uh, for some of us who think that's uh, confusing or you think it's interesting because you know I'm from Van Wert, can I just tell you, uh, whoever has my cell phone number and from time to time sends me pictures of the sign just because you know that I'm from Van Wert, this is a different Van Wert. This is Van Wert, Iowa, actually. I know there's more than one Van Wert. And, and this Van Wert, Van Wert, Iowa, it only has a population of 176 The Van Wert I was born in has dozens more people than that, all right? My Van Wert has a population of over 11,000. It's not huge, but it's it's not 176, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, We also have a moderately large welcoming sign. Look at this. Look at all the things that my town has to offer. Uh, Where I was born, we have a YMCA. We have a Moose Lodge. Apparently, we have settings from an iPhone also in our town. It's kind of a big deal. 
And, and when I look at all of these other Van Werts, don't even get me started about Van Wert, Georgia or Van Wert, uh, Pennsylvania, they're unincorporated. Are you kidding me? I couldn't even find what population they are. It's either so small or none. My Van Wert was incorporated in 1848, so we're kind of a big deal. I don't really know what that means, but I'll tell you this. Let's get back to the text. There's two places that we're going to look at called Bethany. They're very different places. They're kind of far apart, but Jesus, he really had a profound impact when it comes to the idea of a place to belong in Bethany beyond the Jordan. Two Bethanies. We just talked about Bethany on the Mount of Olives, and now we're going to slip into Bethany beyond the Jordan. And by the way, just, just uh, to clue you in on something cool, Pastor Quentin will be back next week, and he's got a message on the Jordan River uh, titled, A Place to Enter God's Promises. You're not going to want to miss that. Bethany beyond the Jordan was a launching pad for Jesus' ministry. You know, Jesus was baptized in Bethany, and he started inviting people to come and follow him there in Bethany. And, and it wasn't long after he launched his ministry to where we see crowds of people trying to find him and following him all over the place. Look at Luke 5, 1. One day Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and great crowds pressed in against him to listen to the word of God. Now, he was preaching but people in crowds, they weren't gathering for church. Church didn't exist as we know it. This was an unusually large crowd. Do you know why? Look at this verse, Luke 5, 15. Because news about him spread even more. Large crowds were coming together to hear him and to be healed by him. People wanted something from Jesus. They heard about a man who taught with authority. He, he had the power to heal. He was performing miracles. People didn't know who he was, but they wanted a piece of what he had. Now, I hope you're taking notes wherever you're watching from, because I just want to ask you to do something real quick. I just want you to grab your pencil and put a check mark in your journal, in your, in your book, on the piece of paper that you have in front of you. Put a check mark every time you hear something I say that defines you or describes you. Because I want to look at the crowd. The crowd was pressing in on Jesus and, and the crowd was composed of a very diverse group of people. There were people drawn to Jesus who were curious. Is that you? Put a check. People who were hopeful. Are you hopeful? Put a check. People who were hurting. There were those who were encouraged by his word. There were those who were shocked by his teaching. People in the crowd were people who were suffering. People who were faithful people who were oppressed, grieving, sinful, fearful, seekers, guilty, joyful, powerless. There were people in the crowd who were intellectuals, others who were very ambitious. There were those who were grateful and others who were extremely loyal. And undoubtedly in the crowd were people who loved God and there were certainly seekers and outcasts and skeptics. Skeptics are are people who weren't sure what to believe or if they were ready to believe, but they were interested enough to show up. I don't know if you can look around where you are. Maybe you're the only person in the room. But if you could just look around at a crowd, I think you would kind of feel what it was like being in that crowd. I can see the crowd. I just love visualizing scripture. I can see the crowd and we don't know how large the crowd was on the shore of Galilee in that moment. Its size, you know, it, it may vary, but there would have been people in the crowd just like you. 
And, and here's what I know. Jesus loves that they are there. And Jesus loves that you're here. Jesus wants you to have a place to belong. Hopefully your church, hopefully Valley Church is a place where you feel like you belong. And most importantly, I hope as you see Jesus and interact with Jesus, you realize that he's a place where you belong. You belong with him. The fact that people flocked to Jesus, I mean, it was, it was extremely intentional on his part. It was part of his mission. He wanted people to come and see him and see who he was and see what he was doing. And while he was glad to attract crowds, his goal was to build disciples. Turn with me to John chapter one. Jesus is launching his ministry. He's picking disciples. And I love this. John chapter one, there's just a chain reaction of invitation. And what I love about the invitation that Jesus is giving is it's a no strings attached invitation. Hey, come and find some belonging with me. He's not pushing behavior. He's not pushing belief. He's just saying, come and see what, what following me is all about. He simply is inviting people to tag along. As I read, I would encourage you to listen and look for the times people are invited to come and see and to come and follow Jesus. Because Jesus and his disciples were creating an environment and a community to belong. John 1, starting in verse 35. The following day, John, that's John the Baptist, he was standing with two of his disciples and Jesus walked by. And John looked at Jesus and he declared, look, there's the Lamb of God. What he was saying to his disciples is, you know, the, the Lamb from the Old Testament that was sacrificed for the sin of the families, to cover their sin, to pay the debt for their sin. They knew that that's what Jesus was going to do somehow, some way. And John the Baptist says, there's the Lamb of God. And these two disciples that were with John, they just left him. Scripture says they just left him. They started following Jesus. Verse 38, Jesus looked around and he saw them following. And he says, what do you want? What do you want? Just four quick words. And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, we want to see where you're staying. <laughs> Jesus says, come and see. It was about four in the afternoon and they went with Jesus to the place where he was staying and they remained with him for the rest of the day. And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the men who heard that John said, this is the Lamb of God and he started following Jesus. So Andrew, he was with John the Baptist followed Jesus for a day, and now Andrew, he went to find his brother Simon, and he told him, we found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. And then Andrew brought Simon to Jesus, and looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Jesus found Philip, and he said to Philip, Come, follow me. I love that. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. And Philip went and he looked for Nathaniel and he told Nathaniel, hey, we have found the person that Moses and the prophets wrote about this. His name is Jesus. He's the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathaniel exclaimed, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip replied, Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Hope and transformation start with the invitation to come and see Jesus. You know, as, 
as they approach Jesus, Jesus says, now there's a true son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. You know what I love about that? Jesus is talking about Nathaniel, the guy who just was like, well, good, can come out of Nazareth. And what I love about the way Jesus reacts is he's not afraid of people's questions. He's not afraid of the way people behave. He just wants people to come and see because once we come and see and see him for who he really is, what he has to offer becomes irresistible. John the Baptist told Andrew and Jesus sees Andrew and says, come and see. And then Andrew goes to his brother and he says, why don't you come and see? And then Jesus told Philip, he just sees him and he says, hey, come and see, come and follow me. And Philip was from the same town as Andrew and Peter. So friends are sharing with friends. And then Philip told Nathaniel, he's like, you just got to come and see for yourself. Jesus, as well as John the Baptist and, and these new disciples, they continue to make room for people who are not yet following Jesus. They just say, come and see. There's no initiation. There's no bait and switch. They're, they're just making room for people regardless of their past. They're encouraging people to come and see with their doubts and their questions and their curiosities. These were genuine invitations just to come and see Jesus. Some of us, we, we really don't like people to to come and see us and to get too close to us because they're gonna see all of our flaws and they're gonna see where we mess up. But it's not like that with Jesus. It's okay to get close, to discover. If you're not following Jesus, Jesus wants you to come and see him. He wants you to come to him with, his, with your questions because Jesus is confident that when you see him, you're gonna see the real deal. He has nothing to hide. Bethany beyond the Jordan became a place for outsiders to belong. Jesus kept calling people in. And Jesus, he invites everybody to come and see him because he ultimately wants us to find that we belong in him. You don't have to have everything figured out to come and see Jesus. The invitation is wide open. Jesus invites us into relationship with him before we have a relationship with him. So I hope you have a Bethany. I hope you have a Bethany because life is better and you are better at life when you have community that spurs you on and fills you up. I also hope you're providing a Bethany for others, that, that your help and hope to those who are in your life group, but you're also help and hope to those who are not yet following Jesus, that you would make room in your life for people who are not yet following Jesus because Jesus made room for you. And I just wonder how you're making room for others so that they find a place to belong. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thanks for your love and your ministry, your encouragement and your word. God, continue to grow us and sharpen us. Thank you for the challenge that we all see in scripture that we can belong to you, but also that we can build bridges so others can sense the belonging in you. God, thanks for today. We love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.